0: Thank you very much, uh, Reverend Dr. taimba and thank you, David and everyone else uh, for welcoming me to share with you this afternoon, and uh, also for the vision of this kind of ministry, uh, which is very unique, but brought about by COVID. These are some of the blessings that we are getting out of COVID, actually, uh, because uh, in many ways, now you're able to bring the gospel and to speak to a lot more people than you would have gathered together, uh, possibly in a church, unless it's a very big stadium. So I thank God for the opportunity to be here. And uh, thank you also for the reading of the word. And what has been given to me that uh, I'm tackling is living a debt-free life. Let me begin with a little bit of my own uh, or our testimony, my wife and I. Um, you know, I got my first job after graduating in 1978 when I completed my studies. And uh, since then, I, you know, even borrowing from a bank or from an individual was unthinkable because we just could not afford to pay back. Uh, so in terms of debts, I come from that kind of background We generally lived within our means, unlike today when I see young graduates borrowing at finance a life that they see in others. So they see what others are living and they want to borrow so that they can be like them. We have never negotiated a loan for a bank for our domestic needs, not even for our house, actually. The house that we live in, that we constructed was completed last year is a house that we never borrowed any money for and uh, I think the most important thing as we come to this topic is to realize we have never lacked because God has been amazingly faithful in every situation. Now I'm not speaking against borrowing as a whole because I realize uh, that business enterprises often do need to borrow with demonstrable Uh, cash flows, but we have to be very careful. So this topic is a very, very important one. And I can share with you something that happened to me when I lived in Australia, I lived there for five years. Uh, At one time I borrowed $600 from a friend, a Ugandan friend actually, but I could not pay back. Sleeping was difficult for me. I tossed in bed, very often feeling trapped and I would wake up in the morning anxious. The allowance that I was getting from the Australian government, the stipend, two thirds of it went to accommodation. There was no way that I could survive or could pay back this $600. I can't even right now remember what I borrowed it for. I also did some tutoring uh, because I was a statistics student and I earned a little bit, but hardly enough to meet the debt that was before me because I lived a miserably cheap life. And yet, think of it, in spite of all that, I still borrowed money. My annual allowance was below the poverty line. Now you may wonder, how did all this end? The taxman who doesn't often come uh, good for people, actually had mercy on me because at the end of the financial year, it was realized I was below the poverty line in terms of their uh, income uh, for the poverty threshold. And they returned over $1,000 in taxes that I had paid over the year uh, from my tutoring. And of course you can imagine my first act was to seek to be free from my debt And I need to say that since then, I have never looked back. I don't want even to spend a night sleepless as a result of a debt. Debt's cause shame. Debt's cause schisms between brothers and sisters in Christ. Debt's also cause a kind of slavery to those that go into them. So it can be a very, very difficult thing. The wise man in Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Imagine that, that the rich actually has power over the poor and the borrower, and of course these are poor people who have probably borrowed from the rich and the borrower is the slave of the lender. So in this context, then we come to the passage that we've had. But before I get into that particular passage, there is another similar one, a similar instruction that comes in Exodus chapter 22, verse 25 to verse 27. And this is what it says. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him If ever you take your neighbor's clock in pledge, return it before nightfall because that poor person needs it back. And these are passages that are speaking to us from both sides. But do note something from this particular one in Exodus that God acknowledges that they are legal moneylenders. So we are not speaking against legal moneylenders. That's not going to be our concern here. Our concern is going to be reckless borrowing, and not my adjectives, reckless borrowing of Christians from each other, and also the heartless, heartless, very cruel lending to brothers and sisters, which result into legal battles. So much so that Paul even had to say in 1 first, uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 6, he had to say, What, you know, why not rather be defrauded instead of uh, pushing a brother over the cliff? So in Deuteronomy chapter 15, the text that we've just read, God is concerned about our compassion and our justice on both sides, both the lender and of course the borrower. So he's concerned about this compassion, he's concerned about this justice. I would commend to you a passage that we are not going to read, but it's kind of David's testimony in Psalm 37. And I'll be, I'll be quoting a verse from there shortly. But God's commandment, when it is given in Deuteronomy chapter 15, is intended to break the monopoly of wealth being in just a few hands. It provides for regular redistribution of wealth so that the poor can begin again to gain wealth for themselves. Because work is very important. Even for the poor, they should be able to work so that they earn something, they get something that enables them to go on and make some wealth. Now, let me now dig into the passage itself. Because as I said, he's talking about He's telling us, show compassion because your God is compassionate. Show compassion because your God is compassionate. And I'm going to make four points coming out of that text, and then I'll be concluding with some general comments. The first point that I want to make to us, my brothers and sisters is that God's people, God never intended his people to be permanent debtors. He never intended that, I've just made a statement and I've said that the year of Jubilee was instituted for the redistribution of wealth for the poor to get again an opportunity to work his way up and earn more income. And so we need to understand he never intended a person, a Christian, uh, a believer, someone who is his, his child, to be a permanent debtor. The creditor therefore, and there are two things here that are important to say concerning that. The creditor therefore must learn to forego, to forgive the loan, and this is in perpetuity. In other words, to forgive it and say, I'm not going to lend anymore. My wife and I sometimes have been approached by people, at least in the past, We would be approached by people, and they said that they want to borrow some money from us. And we took this one principle right early in our marriage. And we said, if anybody asks for money, and that person is needed, and we are able, we would rather give that person what we have rather than creating a situation of animosity uh, uh, so that we don't end up in acrimonious relationships. The creditor needs to learn for God, forgive the loan in perpetuity. And the word that he uses in Deuteronomy is you must not exact it. In other words, you must not demand it in a cruel way from a debtor. Because when you do that, you make the debtor actually kind of slave. The, the, The wise man again says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will repay him for his deed. We are going to come back to the fact of the blessing that God commits Himself, and He says, "God will repay him for his deed." So, my brothers and sisters, if you are a creditor, understand that what God is asking you to do. Either you take the position that we ourselves talk or if you're going to be lending to people, you better be ready to forgive the debt from the brother, from the sister and release them. Rather than going into fellowship, you're looking at this brother and the brother is looking ashamed and you're feeling all this struggle and the relationship in between you is not a fellowship. But also, because God never intended any of these people to be permanent debtors, the poor, must not take advantage of the goodness of the rich. Withholding to pay back a debt is wickedness. We need to understand that. So the Bible is not saying that then the poor can take the debt and wait to be forgiven and therefore just go away with it. Psalm 37 verse 21 that I mentioned earlier, And in that particular verse, he says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. In other words, when you borrow, do not become wicked. And my brother, my sister, whether you've borrowed money or you've borrowed a book, the books are some of the most difficult ones for us Christians. We borrow the books and we completely forget where we borrowed it from, or we don't even bother to take it back. It can be money, it can be a book, whatever it is, but if you borrow and you do not take back, then that is wickedness within you. So my brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, God does not want any of us, any of you to be a permanent debtor. When the righteous sin they are more wicked than even Sodom. That's what we were reading only this morning from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 44 onward, where God takes the children of Judah and he says to them that because of your sin, you have even made the people of Sodom look more righteous. In other words, when the righteous sin, they are worse. They are more wicked than even Sodom and Gomorrah. The second point that I want to make concerning the issue of compassion, God puts limitations to this commandment. The commandment of forgiveness has limitations and there are two limitations in particular. The first limitation is not to be extended to a non-Hebrew, to a foreigner. And if we were speaking in our language to an unbeliever, it's not supposed to be taken. Now I need also to be very careful here. Because as Christians, even for an unbeliever, you should be a person that's willing to forgive and to forgo. If it is for the testimony of Christ. But he put that, that one Uh, Because, you see, the children of Israel were living in a theocracy where God was Lord. He had given them land. He had given them everything they need. He had delivered them out of Egypt. He was walking them into the promised land and everything that they were going to get. They were going to get as a gift from God. And he was saying to them, do not extend it to a non-Hebrew. Paul Paul himself actually says something similar. In Galatians chapter six, verse nine to 10, he emphasizes that we should be doing good, but as we do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But the second limitation is that the person who is whom you're lending, the person that is borrowing must be poor. A poor person who cannot, who is unable to subsist on their personal holdings that person is under consideration. It's not just anybody. It's not someone who is wealthy and is just borrowing for the sake of feeding their lifestyle. No, it is the poor so that they can be supported at a subsistence level so that they can be helped. So there are two conditions that are given in that particular passage. The third point concerning this compassion is God says, have faith in me. Brothers and sisters, I want to urge you, have faith in your God. Why why do I say that? Because he says he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. You're holding this debt, and what are you doing? By holding the debt, you are actually failing to receive from God. One of the principles that I have had for many, many years is that as long as we hold in our fist then it is impossible for God to put in our palms until we are able to release a brother, until we are able to release the money, until we are able to release what another brother needs, what another brother or sister needs. So he says "You will bless. That is calling upon our faith, but not there is an if. And he keeps on saying if, if. Christians quite often read these passages without realizing their ifs in the passages that are given. Release of the poor is to live out your faith in God. But should I, may I add, so is contentment of the poor. The poor also need to be content. Not simply to try and feed luxury in their life. Be content with what you have. Now listen. He says that God is committed to provide. He's committed to bless you if you care for the poor and needy. Many times we want to quote many of these verses and we only want to quote the last part. For example, verse 6 is one of the most quoted and people often love to quote it, for the Lord your God will bless you As he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. But we don't read verse four. We don't read verse five, which place and if to the person that shall be blessed. And so it's important that God has committed himself to bless us and we must have faith in him if we care, if we are compassionate to the poor. He commands charitable support for those that are needy, for the poor amongst us. It's like CSR, CSR is Christian, so support them. It is God's will my brothers and sisters to supply his people's necessities so that they can testify with David in Psalm 37. I love that particular verse 25 in that Psalm where he says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous for second or his children begging begging for bread. And then he goes on to verse 26 and he says, he's ever lending, the righteous, he's ever lending generously. And his children become a blessing. In other words, that the righteous will be supplied sufficiently. But what will it take? It will take your faith. Unless you believe that God will take care of you, you will be hankering to borrow left, right, and center. You will be hankering to strangle people, say pay back, pay back. And then you forget that God is so gracious to you. But if you obey God, if we obey God, that's when God says, I will favor you above other nations. Christians, may I urge you, stop quoting verse 6 without quoting verses 4 and 5, because they are ifs that are placed to that particular text or that particular blessing. The fourth thing that I want to say coming out of this text is the cry of the poor. The cry of the poor. That if the cry of the poor reaches God's ears, it will be your sin. He's talking to the lender at this moment. He's saying, do not deny the poor when you can help them. When the year of Jubilee is close, and you know that is the time to release this brother or this sister, don't say, no, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to help because it will mean I'll forego my money. No, and that is all a heart of compassion. Compassion to the poor, my brothers and sisters. Compassion to the needy. For many years, I was working at Uganda Christian University. And when I worked at Uganda Christian University, yes, there were students who were coming. I had to collect fees. I had to make sure the university continues. But at the same time, I knew that I had to participate in supporting the poor. And I took however small you take from your salary and you set it aside and you say, this is going to the poor. This is supposed to support the poor. That is enough. And I took just a little and of course, I encourage the other staff members and who we are putting together something uh, which supported the poor. The poor have to pay, but at the same time, the righteous need to remember that they do owe oh God something. Brothers and sisters, may we remember the cry of the poor. It is a dreadful thing when the voice of the poor is heard before God because of you. It's a dreadful thing, let me say that again, for the voice of the poor to be heard in heaven before God because of you. That the poor are not being taken care of. We need to understand that the cry of the poor rises to God's ears. And when it rises to God's ears, what is it that he hears? Let me now come down to a few biblical principles governing, lending, and indebtedness. Please do listen. There are only four of them. First and foremost, we are all debtors. All of us. We are debtors because Jesus paid a debt none of us could pay. Read Psalm 49 verses 7 to 9. Jesus paid a debt that none of us, the worth of our redemption, is eternity. He redeemed us for eternity. Why do we take things that are temporary and then make them appear like they are the ones that will give us salvation? The temporal debts cannot blind us to the eternal gift of God's grace. So he says, forgive each other, my brothers and sisters. Forgive each other. And he does not say forgive only once. Forgive, forgive, forgive. The creditor should not be cruel to the debtor, but the poor must not also be irresponsible in their borrowing, as if to build, they are building an eternal home here. You know, some of us borrow as if we shall be here for a million years, as if this is where God has put us for eternity. This is not where God has put you for eternity. Do not become irresponsible in your borrowing. Just as we speak to the creditor, do not be cruel to the debtor. The second point, so I want you to understand we are debtors, that's my first point. Secondly, I want to say we all love to one another. The Bible is very clear about that. We have a debt. Romans chapter 13 verse eight, owe no one anything except the debt of love. Love is the debt we will never fully repay. We owe it to Jesus, we pay it to a brother or sister. You cannot love and say, "I have loved enough." You ca- that is a debt that we shall always be paying. You cannot love any less than Jesus loved you. If Jesus loved you, then you should love others in exactly the same way. Thirdly, imitate Christ. Be as Christ to others, as Paul tells us in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one: "Be as Jesus to others." I don't know how many of you have read a little book called "The In His Steps. It's really about the imitation of Christ and it's based on a verse in first Peter chapter two. But the point is this book was written by a man called Charles Sheldon. And I have seen people wear uh, bands on their wrists that read WWJD. And they probably do not know where that came from. It came from that book. What does WWJD mean? It is what would Jesus do? Ask yourself, what would Jesus do with your brother who is indebted to you? What would Jesus do if he borrowed money from you? What would he do? Oh, he borrowed an item from a brother or sister. What would Jesus do before borrowing? What would Jesus do? That is the question that all of us must ask ourselves so we do not become either cruel or we become irresponsible with debts. But the fourth point that I want to make, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul tells us, for freedom Christ has set us free. Jesus sets us free to live free from any kind of slavery, and that means even debts. For freedom, this is what the verse says, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not become a slave, my brothers and sisters. Do not be slaves again. As Christians, we need to learn that Christ has set us free and he wants us to be free. He doesn't want us to be like I was telling you when I borrowed $600 and I would go to bed and I'm thinking about $600. I toss in the bed. And every time I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about it. When I wake up in the morning, I'm anxious and the brother was not even pursuing me. It's just that in my heart, I felt that kind of slavery. Do not be a slave for freedom. Christ has set you free. In other words, he has set you free that you may walk free. There is nothing in this world that you must have in case some of us have forgotten. There is nothing, not these houses, not these jackets, not these things that we value so much. There is nothing in this world that you must have If it's not essential to your salvation, nothing. Everything that we have is passing. And eventually you're not going to be using any of these things. So if you're a borrower, Why do you have to say I cannot live without borrowing to finance a car or for, you know, I've seen young graduates, they immediately graduate, the first job they get, they run to the bank, they're borrowing money to buy a car, they're borrowing money to do this and that. And you know, that is simply feeding your greed. It's feeding your greed. I like a statement that someone made about reckless borrowing. And he said that we borrow to finance what we do not need to impress the people we do not like. That is essentially what happens with our borrowing. We keep on borrowing and borrowing. What are you borrowing for? As if you do not have food on the table. If you have the essentials, what did the post say? If you have the essentials of life, if we have food and you have clothing, we should be content. That's what he says. But if you're a lender, you should not also say, I cannot live without recovering what I lent to this brother or to this sister. No, that's not how you should live. You should be wise in your thinking. You should be loving in your ways. You should not allow enslaving other people. Friends, I want to end by saying to you, our biggest debt is to the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross where you and I could not actually go. You could not have paid that particular price. And it is that which matters most. Therefore, can we give up? These are the things that we consider so important so that we may gain that which cannot be taken away from you, from us. This is what a man called Jim Elliot said. And he was murdered. He had gone as a missionary among the Aqua uh, Auka, uh, Indians in Latin America. And this is the statement that he, he made. He said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep, even if it is alone. Who gives what he cannot keep? to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, we give up all these temporal things so that we may gain what we cannot lose and that we find at the foot of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live a debt-free life for Christ has set you to be free. Amen. God bless you. One, thank you, dear Father, for uh, giving us this wonderful time, for speaking to us, for your words a spirit and truth. For thus what you speak, and may your blessings rest upon the family in particular, because we know you appointed families to be the places where life is born, life is nurtured and the world then can be blessed. And so may the peace of God, which is greater than we can understand, guard your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, and the blessing of God Almighty, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. May that blessing rest upon you and remain in your families, in your homes, and never leave you now and forevermore. Amen.